Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I mean, well, first off, and I know I'm going to hurt a lot of people's feelings, but <laughs> I'm going to hurt a lot of people's feelings. It's great to have you on. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, this uh, this interview is going to be unlike uh, any of the ones you've had before because your boy's trying to be uh, you know, best in the game here. So I got to, I got to, I got to step up my game here to compete with the sports nets and the ESPNs of the world. But uh, okay. first, first question I got to ask you is um, what were you doing at 3:17 AM in your mom's Cadillac? And how did this inspire you to raise Gary, Garrison, Grayson and Graydon? <laughs> well, uh, in all actuality, man, that was the first night. It, it's kind of deep because my mom, that was the first night my mom really showed me uh, how to cook, you know? And that was the first night she showed me how to cook crack. And it was kind of, uh, you know, a whole lot going on that night emotionally and just as a lost kid. And uh, after she cooked it and, it and it and it dried and got hard, she cut it. And broke down what everything was. This is a 20, this is a 20, uh, this is a 15 in the daytime, this is a 20 at night. Just, it just, it, it just, um, you know, so to her it was, uh, when she broke that down, man, it was just something that uh, I learned that night and she drove me around the corner and just uh, dropped me off. That was really my first night ever. Uh, that was my first night as a drug dealer. It was just a, a real struggle in uh, in that time and era. You know, um, my family was going through a lot. You know, my dad had just got sentenced to life sentence, you know, as um, a cocaine kingpin, you know, first person in Ohio. So, you know, every school I go to, uh, all the administrators, they all know my story. All the kids, a lot of kids know it's all on the news. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that's always stuck out to me as far as that car, because, you know, my mom used to do security at this mall in uh, upper Arlington late at night. So me and my sister would get in the car and I would put a tape in the car and we would just drive, uh, in the parking lot in circles, you know, kind of like a racetrack, you know what I'm saying? Doing a bunch of right turns. And then sometimes I would go the other way and do a bunch of left turns. And that's really how I learned how to drive, man. My mom had like a 79 Fleetwood, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we driving in circles around the parking lot. And, you know, I can go straight and do an L turn. Go straight, do an L turn. I had I had mastered the L turn where you pull out an intersection and stop, turn the wheel all the way, and then hit the gas. So, uh, you know, so when my mom had dropped me off that night and I looked at the I always just looked at the tape deck dashboard to check the time because when she was doing security, it was always uh, make sure we come back at this time because she after she do a round she'd be done. So it was always a check the check the the clock time in the car, right? And that night that was that was that was that night, man. It was just 
You know, I'd always could smell those fumes from them getting high in the house and all that. <clears throat> but now actually standing over a stove cooking it um, was a different level of dizziness and whatnot. You know what I'm saying? Especially at like 14 years old and, and all that aroma boiling right into your face like that. What was the moment when you got to high school and that life on the streets and everything, it took you for, off of that and then eventually got to the high school courts. Cause uh, I heard that a coach found you on the playground and then basically was like, damn bro, you good. Uh, let's get you, let's get you on the ball court. It wasn't really that cut and dry, but um, okay. my, uh, my, my high school coach and a, and a, and a man I love to death and really it was the uh, probably at the tip of the iceberg of where it was starting to save my life. You know what I'm saying? So to speak, um, Randy Cotner. Um, I went to I went to school, but I had missed a bus on the way home. And a couple of friends in the neighborhood was like, man, just ride with us. Come to open gym and ride with us. We give you a ride home because, you know, it was I was like, all right, cool. So, uh, you know, I went to open gym and I was just an explosive athlete. I didn't really have any skill set or any of that. And coach was like, you know, man, you should, you look pretty athletic. You should come out for the team. So I was like, okay, cool. So I went out for the team a week or so later or whatever. And uh, I made JV. And it was the first time I had actually, you know, been on the team and whatnot come out, score 20 in the first half of JV, just really high energy, bunch of layups, putbacks and all that. So I only played two quarters and then I got moved up to varsity that night. So, you know, but it was still a lot of growing for me to do. And there was a, uh, you know, a situation on the team where a couple guys had already established themselves and, you know, didn't want to give up the ball, give up their title. And, you know, that, and that was, uh, you know, where I really started playing basketball. You know, people, People look at my son and, you know, he had his dream since he was younger because he had structure mm-hmm. and, you know, he had, he had good education. You know, my son went to private schools with 12 to one ratio, you know, 12 teachers, uh, 12 students per teacher type ratio. And, you know, I just always wanted the best for him. So he was able to have a dream and develop it and nurture it. And that's what he's been doing all his life. And that's, what he's doing now is following his dream. You know, I didn't, I didn't grow up under those type of circumstances. I didn't, I didn't really believe in any of that. You know, I just play sports to play sports, but I didn't have an understanding of, you know, McDonald's games and rankings. You know, I didn't, I was getting recruited. I didn't know what March Madness was or any of that. So, you know, I was in a different space. You could say, I guess you could say like some people grow up like weeds. Some people grow up like flowers, right? Yeah, you know, and the thing is, it's funny that you say that because here's the thing. We're all going to grow, right? But when you let a child grow like a weed, that means he's going to grow, but he's going to grow in all kinds of directions. And he's going to grow and he's going to attach to anything a lot of times. Because if you look at, at weeds and vines, they'll attach to a tree, a wall, uh, a car that's been parked there too long. So, you know, as a child and, and as humans, you know, it, our, our social mentality is to be a part of something. Yeah. You know, we're, we're going to be a part of something. We'll swim team, basketball team, or street gang, you know, because it's, it, it's just, it's human to be a part of something. That's why in prison, they put you in uh, isolation because 
it's 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 inhumane, you know. So if as a child, when you're not a part of something, you navigate to what feels good or what sounds good or what's convenient. And that's why you accepted the first scholarship offer you got, right? Man, listen, the first offer wasn't even the word. The so you know, I'm going through some stuff at home one night because uh you know, I left my mom's household because we just got to the point where we just start physically fighting and mm-hmm. it was just getting too out of hand. So it got to the point now where I move out and I'm living with my auntie, which is my mom's sister, but mm-hmm. it's the same conditions as far as uh, it's still a crack house household, you know what I'm saying? Um, her and her husband were both getting high. But the difference was when I live with my mother, I lived in the city. We live like hardcore, dead beat right in the hood. You know what I'm saying? Like trap, trap city. When I live with my aunt, the inside of the household was the same as far as the conditions and the mindset and the mentality of the people. But when I stepped out the front door, there was no strip. There was no corners. There was no gathering to where people would come. You know, this is the 80s, right? So in the 80s, as far as white people, they had to come to the hood and find somebody like walking them down the street and try to convince them that, hey, take my money, buy some, I'll share it with you type of thing. Because, you know, like it's, it wasn't diverse like that back in Ohio when I was coming up, you know? Like any white people that came over in our neighborhood, he was the police. We, I didn't care if you was dressed in uh, construction clothes, if you was on the cable wire, you could be doing the sewer. In my neighborhood, everybody like, oh, that's the police. That's the police. No, they're working the sewer. Still the police dressed up. But man, it's the cable guys, the police. Like if you was white in our neighborhood, you was police. So in that point in time, you know, the people in the suburbs always had to find somebody in the hood to come cop for them or it just wasn't going to happen. So when I lived out in the suburbs, you know, it was just such a slow motion of life. It wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have to maybe catch a felony today or get robbed today or rob somebody or shoot somebody today because it just wasn't that type of environment. So that was probably the key to not just be in that hot water every day. You know what I'm saying? When you're living in the hood and it's a small condensed area of a lot of violence and a lot of things going on within a few square blocks, you know, every day it's like you're in hot water. It's always like hot. Police always speeding up and down. Uh, somebody always overdosing, somebody shooting. So, you know, to be removed from that environment, that was half the battle and helping really save my situation. Yeah, because when you were coming up, you were conditioned to everything being one type of way. So when you got kind of taken out of that a little bit, you are kind of like, like you said, you were on high alert as anytime you see, you know, every time you see a white man, you automatically assume, oh, it's a cop. When really it's just because of the kind of in different situation you're in now, that wasn't the case. Well, just living out there and living that life, you know, man, I went, yeah. to, I went to eight different schools, our first 10 years of school, you know, eight schools, my first 10 years. So my high school, I spent three years at. So that was my last three years. So other than that, I, I was all over the city, you know, and, you know, when you're moving around like that, it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, it, it, it's so much a part of your life. It doesn't seem like now that I have my kids, you know, they're in a school system, it's structured. You know, when you come home every day, it's going to be like this and things of that nature. Whereas a lot of times, man, you just, you know, I'm just coming home floating. Once I get out of school, I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know how I'm going to eat. 
You know what I'm saying? I know what I'm gonna do though. If I can't eat, I know I know how to eat and I know where to go get some money. So once you start, once you start as a child not living life, but start living in survival mode, yeah, where everything you do every day gotta survive, that pain gonna change you and you're gonna be something that people won't like really. Is that why you took that first scholarship offer? So like, cause you know, that was your, that was your ticket out. It didn't matter where it was. You're like, uh-uh. man, I, I was, I was, I was having an argument with my auntie that night mm-hmm. and uh, I was crying and all this extra stuff. And then she was trying to like, kind of put me out a little bit because she was feeling like, you know, the money that the probate courts had gave her to take custody, which she used to tell me wasn't worth it. Like this money ain't worth taking you. So we arguing over that, and then uh, I get a call, you know, on the phone. About 15 minutes later, after we're done arguing, I'm just sitting on my steps crying in the house. And uh, I get a call, and it's Coach Hunter. So he's talking to me on the phone. Now, I had got a letter from Ohio University, like, maybe three or four months ago. But you know how schools just send out that basic letter to everybody. And all they do is just change your name. Here, such and such. Yeah. And they give all the same message and the coach. I don't even think it's a signature. It might be a stamp <laughs> signature at the bottom. You know them, you know them first letters, right? Yeah. So uh they send that first letter. And the coach uh was talking to me on the phone and I asked him, I said, Coach, can can y'all play in that tournament at the end of the season? Everybody playing like the Michigan playing, Ohio State playing, because that's all I knew, Ohio State, Michigan, right? Because I'm from Columbus. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, can y'all play? Y'all play in that tournament. He said, the NCAA tournament? I said, yeah, that's what it's called. I'm like, oh, the big hoopla tournament. Everybody talking about March Madness. He's like, yeah, yeah. He said, Gary, we can win a national championship. We get the right players. I'm like, oh, okay. So I said, uh, do y'all play on TV? He was like, he said, well, you know, if we uh, get into the conference championship or whatnot, and get to the NCAA tournament, we can get some TV games. So I said, Okay, well, I'll come to OU just like that. He said, what? I said, I'm going to come to OU. He said, do you know what you're saying? I said, yeah, I'm committing. I'm going to come to OU. He said, you know you're committing. He says, I'm going to get a press release on this next week. I was like, all right. Now, mind you, this is summertime. I've never I've never even met this man. Never. Yeah. I've never seen the campus. I don't know where school is at. I just was like, I need to go. The next step after high school is college. I need to get out of here. So mm-hmm. he's having a call right at that whirlwind moment in my life. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'll come to you. Just like if your friend had called and said, hey, man, you want to come over and uh, play some Madden? Yeah, I'll come over. It was just like that. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny. A few weeks later, you know, I'm playing in the summer league in Columbus. So, you know. I'm wreaking havoc in the summer league, you know, because I, I was I was a player coach, and anybody can tell you, and that's why I want everybody in the city to know my team went undefeated two years in a row, led the league in scoring and rebounding, and was dogging everybody in the league. It was it was the uh, pal league, you know what I'm saying? So I want everybody in Columbus to big shout out to y'all for me dogging y'all. Y'all know it, but um. I come off the court. I had about 40, right? So this guy come up to me. He's like, how you doing, Gary? It's a nice game. I was like, oh, thank you. He's like, you know who I am? I'm like, no. He's like, I'm Coach Hunter. I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, Coach? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's how I met the man right there. Wow. You know, I met the man just like that, walking off the court. I'm thinking he's just congratulating me on the game. I'm giving him a handshake, and I'm walking by. I'm like, yeah, hey, right? 
So I done committed my life to somebody. I don't even know who they are. And I meet them, keep walking, right? But that's just that's just how disconnected my life was from real life and real society and outside of what we knew and what we had going on. Mm-hmm. Damn, that's incredible, man. It goes to show, too, is like when you were talking about being in survival mode, you're like, the moment you were asking them all those questions, you're like, all right, let's do it. Let me just go. Because that's when you're ready. It's like, all right, this is a better path for me. So like, you know, let me, let me start getting buckets on these college guys. Cause I've been getting buckets on these high school guys. Right. I got to ask, was it more memorable scoring a quadruple double on Toledo Libby high school or ending your high school career with a loss? Cause you broke the rim so bad and there were no replacements. You know, man, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the Toledo Libby because, uh, okay. you know, my high school team, it, it was me. And uh, my brother Rufus, you know, he passed away of pancreatic cancer. So we were the only really, you know, black guys on the team, right? <laughs> so, you know, Toledo Libby come up in the joint. They got like 14 brothers on the team. They dunking all in warm-ups. Oh, Cass on my team looking all nervous, right? Cass and Toledo Libby don't know, like, who I am and how I get down. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, I, you know, me and Rufus was always running the streets together after school. So, you know, after games, you know, we did everything. So... They coming in there and the assistant coach say, hey, these boys from Toledo, you you Gary Trent Columbus, you ain't nobody to them. So, you know, he hit me with a lot of gas right there. And uh, I'm watching these cats, Doug, they staring us up and down. I'm like, to me, that means you really want to fight. But, <laughs> you know, I'm in this new environment. They ain't getting down like that. Like, these guys ain't fighting. And they, you know, all that. We fight after the game, all that. That was That's where I came from. But these guys, you know, they a bunch of arguers and all this. So. Once I came out to the game, man, it was just, you know what I'm saying? By the time halftime came around, them cats, they, they, they had that Patty LaBelle. They had a new attitude. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They had a new attitude. And uh, I kept going forth with what I was doing, man. You know, I think partly with me not having skill in high school is what made me play so aggressive because I couldn't settle for a jumper if I was tired or I couldn't settle for pulling up, you know, just taking a shot to be taking a shot because it was, I didn't feel comfortable and it was just going to look too awkward. So when I got the ball, I'm going straight to your head. And that's why I got that field goal percentage record because I just, I, I just, everything had to be attacking. And it still stands to this day. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, how'd you get the nickname Shaq of the Mac? Mm. So I come in from a funeral. Uh, I had missed a couple of practice. My uncle had passed, and I was coming from a funeral, and I hadn't been practicing with the team. So I think we had a game in Western Michigan. And I think this Sports Illustrated writer named Hank or something came to the game. And I think I had 19 points in that game because I had, uh, I had like eight, I had like nine dunks. Matter of fact, I had like 19 points because I had nine dunks, and one of them was an one. I didn't have any other buckets. I just had nine dunks. Just all the first half and second half. So that's where he came with the Shaq and the Mac name because he, I didn't do anything. I didn't hit a jumper. I didn't hit a layup. Everything was a dunk. I didn't score anything but a dunk. You know what I'm saying? So he uh, named that Shaq and the Mac, and that's where he came from. That, that, and then it just stuck. And that was the only he... game he had came to, though. Oh, that really? Me, yeah, that was the only game he came to. So he saw me dunk like nine times. And that was, I mean, from, from, uh, that was the only game he came to as far as I knew, you know, because you know how when the Sports Illustrated people come, you know, they're traveling with the team, they're talking to people, they're doing their insight thing. So 
that was the only game that I knew of him to come to as far as that. So after that game, you know, all the dunks, that's what he left for that. And that nickname stuck so well. And to this day, people consider you, you know, the greatest Ohio University player of all time. Um, yeah, man, you know, I worked pretty hard. I mean, the, the stats show it, the accolades show it from an individual standpoint, but also, you know, we won as a team and we had some accomplishments. Uh, you know, I think we got, you know, got ranked up pretty high. You know, I think we might have got to the ranked 11th in the nation. So, uh, you know, we did a lot of solid things there, man. So, you know, it was a great time and it was uh, another stepping stone situation in my life that was one of the greatest for me. What was that feeling like on giraffe night after everything that you had gone through in your childhood coming up to up to now? Because for a lot of NBA players, that's their that's that moment they dreamed of uh, their entire lives. But I guess for you, you know, you didn't know that was a possibility until as you're you know dominating high school and then dominating college. Well, you know, um, I always would say that I was going to go to the league, you know, just in a more of a trash talk state. Like my freshman year, I had told coach, you know, I had a seven foot two teammate. His name was Jason Terry. And I told uh, coach, "Um, me and Jason out of here in two years, you know, that was always my little thing. You know, we leaving, you know, just talking trash, not really knowing that, you know, because first off I'm at OU, you know, we're the, the, the last person to even go pro out of the MAC conference was Ron Harper. That was 10 years, 11 years before I did it. So unlike the MAC was a hotbed for pros, uh, you get one team in the tournament and no TV games by nobody except the two teams in the conference championship. You know what I'm saying? So, and it's not like uh, they're probably going to air that game on the NCAA tournament because you're probably coming in at the 15th, 16th seed. So, you know, it was a, you know, it was a long shot dream and just a, a bunch of real talking trash. But it became a point where, it became a point where the, uh, the opportunity became real. It was at the end of uh, my freshman year, you know, USA Today came out with the top five freshmen. Matt Othello Harrington, Scotty Thurman, Johnny Rhodes, Jason Kidd and myself. And when I saw that, I was like, man, this uh, now I, I, that was like the first time that I ever really saw that I really might have a chance because you know, these guys was McDonald's All-Americans. You know, Jason Kidd was like, I think, number one or two coming out in our class in high school. So it was like, I missed out on all the McDonald's stuff. I missed out on all those Nike camps. Well, it was five-star back then that those guys had established their names. And now at the end of our freshman year, I'm, I'm right where everybody was. You know, I'm in, I'm in this top five freshman class of guys that have graduated. So to me, I was like, man, if I keep doing this in four years, I could be in the top 10. So I ended up leaving, you know, my my third year and uh, was the 11th pick. But I, I felt like once I saw that, that I had a real, real opportunity. With the 11th pick in the 1995 NBA draft, the Milwaukee Bucks select Gary Trent from Ohio University. The moment the moment David Stern called your name on draft night, what was, uh, what was the emotion that came over you after all that? The emotion that came over me would was more like, you know, stood up. And, you know, you're nervous waiting and waiting and waiting, wondering where you're going to go because, you know, you hear your projections. You know, I heard projections all the way from 5 to 15. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, while you're waiting on all that, it becomes to uh, you, you, you're not sure. But then once you're about to get drafted, all the cameras start gathering around your table when you're like the next pick because they know 
and uh, you know, it turns into now you know, and now you can feel it, and it's, it starts getting butterflies and things of that nature. And when he called my name, you know, uh, I just stood up, and you know, I, I stood straight up, and just so happened my dad stood straight up, and when we hugged, the chair was kind of like under us, and we kind of like fell down and whatnot. So it was a great moment, man, and um, a life changing moment. So does your friend Kevin still own the men's shop? And is that where Junior gets his style from too? <laughs> Just awfully nice tonight. But again, remember, Milwaukee changed the color from green to purple. Well, I had a friend at home named Kevin. He owned this place called the men's shop. And he hooked me up with a couple of pieces, you know, that I wore last night in the day. So here to represent. Nah, my man, my man Kev had, you know, he had went away, you know what I'm saying? They shut the shop down, fair time, came around, all that type of stuff. So... They, uh, you know, the shop that don't exist no more, but he did have some pieces in there, but he's still at home. And, uh, you know, he, you know, it's always been love, you know, he just, uh, you know, he, he was, he was just getting it how he was getting it at that point in time. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, my son more or less got the fashion because my mom, my mom was always, uh, my mom was a booster when I was a kid okay. and we knew a lot of booze. You know what booster is? Yeah, most yeah. People think, most people think that's the people at alumni uh, at school, but where I come from, the booster is a person who always shoplifts. You know, they shoplift mm -hmm. and fence clothes and things like that. So, you know, as a youngster, we had a lot of family members that was boosters and whatnot. So they hit the mall and any type of store and, you know, CCTV and all that wasn't around in the 80s like it was and all this surveillance and all that. So, you know, people could literally just walk in and walk out. And, you know, my mom, I, I had so many clothes that she just always used to dress me all the time. Plus, you know, my mom is the oldest of seven. So, you know, she the first one to have kids. I'm the first grandson, the first nephew. Uh, you know, I'm the first, I'm the oldest cousin of all the cousins. So I got, you know, everybody wanted to touch me, kiss me, hold me, because I'm the first baby to the family. You know what I'm saying? And uh, my dad was the youngest of three and his, his two older siblings didn't have any kids. So I'm like the first on both sides of everything. So as far as clothes and whatnot, everybody, everybody that was hustling, you know, threw outfits my way as a baby and a kid and all that. And, uh, you know, that was just something my mom always liked to do. And, you know, as my son was coming up when I was playing, when he was a baby, you know, she put him in them little suits and wanted to take him to church for Easter and all that type of stuff. So, you know, he uh, she she been putting him in that stuff, and then he, you know, he wore a uniform to school, so he was always used to wearing a belt and, you know, wearing a collar shirt and, you know, keeping himself presentable and whatnot. Yeah, when I saw that old draft footage, you know, with the lime green suit, I'm like, ah, okay, this explains a lot. And I was like, dang, both both like father like son when it comes to the drip, right? Well, you know, the the, the I was always like colorful, you know, uh, you know, Rod Strickland. Uh, Harvey Grant, Cliff Robinson, you know, guys, uh, you know, Hollywood Robinson. You know, when I first came into the league, you know, I came in, I, you know, I got pink suits, I got pink gators, lime green gator, I got all the flavors, <laughs> everything you want. Hey, listen, I came in with it. So when I used to be coming to the games, you know, they used to sit there like, let's see what he's going to wear today. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> I used to be coming with it. And this is, uh, this is back when guys, you know, was wearing suits. You know, mm -hmm. Jordan was wearing all the suits. So, you, you yeah. know, we was wearing a suit and tie lid and all that. But it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was time, man. I used to be coming with it. And then once, once I start doing this dress up every game, dressing up every night, they start looking at it like, hold up, 
So basically, here's how this works. Here's how the dress up work, man. Uh-huh. So you're going, I come back from shoot around, shower, eat, lay down. So I get up, get dressed, put my suit on, get on the bus. Bus ride going to be 20 minutes or less. By the time I put my suit on and get out the hotel, I'm going to get to the arena and have the suit on probably 30 minutes. You're going to get to the arena. You're going to hang it up. Put on your workout gear, go work out, get warmed up, do what you do with the trainer, do what you do on the floor with the coach. <clears throat> I come back in there, I shower, get my uniform on, get ready to play, go play the game. After the game, shower, put the suit on, get on the bus, might do an interview, get on the bus, drive to the hotel, or, or after the game, drive back home. So I'm like, man, hold up. I'm, I'm putting on custom-made three-piece joints, spending, you know, $1,500, a suit. And I'm putting this suit on, sending it to the dry cleaners. I'm putting this suit on for like 40 minutes just to ride in the car in it or on the bus in it. You know what I'm saying? So then it got to the point where me, Rashid, and a few guys, like, just start packing sweatsuits. Mm-hmm. So oh, I'm just packing sweatsuits. I'm wearing sweatsuits to the game, and I'm wearing sweatsuits home. And then... uh whatever clothes I packed on the road so I could go out. You know what I'm saying? If I went to a restaurant or a nightclub, whatever, my, my clothes became for out in society. I'm done dressing up for the games. You know what I'm saying? It was just too many games and just too many clothes and taking two, three suitcases. One suitcase got shoes in it. One suitcase got suits in it. One suitcase might have uh, coats in it. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's just because you're traveling with a team. So, yeah, I'm t- I can take three bags on here, take three suitcases full of gear and just decide fashion show style how I want to hit the streets <laughs> wherever I touch down at. You know what I'm saying? Because I can take three suitcases. I'm not paying for them, not carrying them. I leave them on the runway. The, the, the uh, airline guys grab them. You get to the land where you're going. The team grab them. You just leave them behind. You just get to your room and they already in your room. So luggage wasn't even a hassle. So obviously you can't say yourself, but who was the best dressed coming up when you were, uh, when you were in the league? You can't say yourself because I know that's the easy answer. You mean in the league? Yeah. Oh. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, you had Mike doing it. You know, Mike was dressing, you know, every night. You know, Kevin Willis. You know, that's back when they used to be having the best dress argument. You know what I'm mm, saying? A lot yeah. of them old head got, you know, the competition. A lot of old heads came through dressing like that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it was a lot of guys that was pretty clean out there. Um, you know, as far as the teams I was on, you know, Cliff Robinson used to put it on oh, pretty yeah. decent. Cliff mm-hmm. put it on. Uh, you, you know, Rod dressed up decent at times. Harvey Grant, you know, there was a few veterans on the team. They had a little extra money. 
you know, Buck Williams kept on some decent suits and whatnot. So, you know, we had some guys that was dressing on our team and whatnot. You know, I think the, the style of today, you know, is not so much about suits and hard bottoms now. It's just, it's just about how fresh you look and how clean you look. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Because at one point in time, you know, you couldn't be at a press conference if you didn't have a suit jacket on and mm -hmm. things like that, you know, or you, or you were wrong. It was like, if you didn't wear the suit jacket, you wrong. Where like, no, it just weren't wrong. Just people wanted to be comfortable. So then it, you know, it kind of graduated to teams making sweaters or teams making logos. Now, when you do a press conference, you can just wear the team stuff and it's still presentable, right. but more relaxed, fit and dressed. In terms of, because uh, I know you're only on the Raptors for half a season. In terms of that team, who was, who was the best dressed? That wasn't yourself. Uh, who we had on that team? Really, we had a bunch of young guys. Some guys weren't really dressing like that, you know. Uh, you know. So you want so you want to put Alvin on that list? I mean, you had John Wallace, you had Marcus <laughs> Canby, John Thomas. Uh, you know, Alvin was still young. You know, he yeah. hadn't really built it. Alvin didn't have that big bag yet. Alvin didn't have that big forty plus <laughs> bag yet, right? So you know, he his his wardrobe was still a little collegeish. He had a couple dollars from coming to the league. You know, he had that young money. So he grabbed him a few little pieces, you know, some collar shirts. But he he wasn't once, – once he got his money, he got clean. You know, I start seeing him hard-bottom suits, tied. You know what I'm saying? I, he started getting clean then. Like, he looked down on the, on, the, on the game, you know. But, you know, so, uh, you know, we was all young, man. And we was really trying to find our way basketball-wise. And, you know, we, we wasn't even really sweating the dress code. As a former Raptor, because, you know, I got obviously working for Yahoo, I got to ask some Raptors questions. Um, as a former Raptor and, you know, now father of a current Raptor, how do you feel the organization and the fan base has evolved from when you played compared to now? Well, first off, the fan base um, was it was big to expand into Canada, you know, mm -hmm. because that's where I got drafted at. You know, yep. in 95, they held our draft in Toronto. Yeah. And uh, they introduced the Grizzlies and, and the Vancouver Grizzlies, who is now the Memphis Grizzlies, and they introduced Toronto Raptors. So, you know, that going to Canada, because other than that, I think one time I had went to Niagara Falls back in high school for a little like an AAU tournament or something, oh, sure, you know okay. what I'm saying? So, you know, I didn't know too much about Canada, had never been there, had no real reason. So, you know, when they did the draft there, I think, you know, that opened up that fan base to something new because they had the CFL, um, they had the Toronto Blue Jays and they had, you know, it's big on the hockey up there. But when you came with the Raptors, it was just something else. So it was a different show. It was, and at that point in time, the league was still with the superstars as far as Jordan and those guys coming through. You had a lot of big names and a lot of famous people still. So I think uh, it was a big attraction in the Canadian fan base. And I think once they got behind the Raptors, it was a, uh, it was only fitting, you know, the, the Toronto people support the Raptors, you know, because when I come to the games, you know, you can go to arenas, man, and you can sit there and you can just feel the energy in the air if it's a dead arena or if it's old fans or if it's lively fans. And, you know, it's and it's and I think it's a lively fan base. And I think due to it having that hockey, you know, hockey fans are a little more rowdy. So the people here, you know, with the with the hockey in their spirit, you know, coming to the basketball games, I think it, uh, you know, the stadium be rocking and the fans. And, you know, I, I get so many people writing me and saying stuff from Toronto, I think, you know, having that Canadian fan base is beyond big because it's its own entity. Like every other team is here except there. So it's like its own thing.
Are they giving you a peanuts discount in uh, uh, Scotiabank Arena yet? A what? A peanuts discount. Oh. <laughs> no. <Nah. laughs> No, they, they ain't giving me no discount on nothing, man. They taxing in that joint $6 for water. I'm like, listen, you buy the whole pack for $4.99. Y'all sell them $6 a piece, man. I need to be, I'm going to be standing out front. It wasn't so cold. <laughs> They're like, look, I got waters for $5. It's just a little too cold out there, man. Oh, okay, I, I wasn't sure because you know, being a former player and everything, they're just like, all right, here, we'll we'll, we'll slide some 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 stuff your way or whatever. Man, I've never been around the arena. I've never walked around the arena. I've never seen the locker room. Mm. Uh, I think part of it is you know due to the co- Corona protocol. You COVID, know, yeah. Not, you know, because at one point in time when I was in the league, you know, my family after they wait, you know, we cut through the locker room. Might stop by the equipment man, get some t-shirts and socks and things like that. The um, you know we don't have any. You know, it's just. You know, ever since my son has been actively playing, you know, uh, the kind of Corona protocol kind of been in play, you know. Obviously, your influence uh, when it comes to fashion was big on your teammates and everything. But I feel like a, another uh, player that uh, you had a big influence on, Dirk Nowitzki, who was your rookie in Dallas. You know, he started out shy and then you helped build his confidence. And I'm going to I'm going to bring up one word and I want you to tell me the significance behind that word and what it p- pertains to uh, Dirk Nowitzki. Burger. Oh, uh, um, you know, Dirk was a German kid and he was a teen and he came up against a lot of negative doubters because nobody had really saw him play in anything except the little, you know, little USA function, like AAU type of thing. So, you know, to take him that high of a pick, you know, people just, and then uh, people are, you know, doubting him and doubting Nelly's decision. And, you know, when you start labeling, you know, the next Larry Bird type and this yeah. and that, and, you know, and nobody had seen a true seven footer and Dirk was a seven footer. When he locked his elbow, he put a hell of an arch on his shot. You know, he put a big arch on his shot. So uh, nobody had really seen that. And, you know, coming from Europe, he had to adjust to the physicality of the game. I think that's the biggest thing for European players is the level of physicality. You know, the physicality and the speed uh, is big for them because you can tell at the Olympics at one point in time, the big gap that we had, that's not the same anymore because the, all those foreign players are playing over here currently. So when they get back to the Olympics, it's all NBA speed. We're not the only people playing at NBA speed and physicality. But uh, the burger was more like when you just was done, you know, like nothing you can do about it. Like, like, you know, how when you hear Shaq holler the barbecue chicken. Yeah. Yeah. To that effect, you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, man, Dirk turned out and, and, and got all the naysayers wrong. And, mm-hmm. you know, he got, a, he got a whole country of Germans put behind him and believing in him. And, uh, you know, he was always a good guy, man. Yeah, so obviously that that became a part of his trash talk vernacular, you know, thanks to you. He needed that. You know, at that at one point in time, he was just shy and, you know, wasn't, you know, didn't know how to be accepted. And, you know, yeah. you come over from your country and nobody speaks what you speak. And, you know, you don't know who to gravitate to and whatnot. So, you know, he needed to, uh, he needed that. And I always used to make the little joke with him. I used to, I used to tell him, uh, dirt. You got to get your game up. I'm like, listen, man, you want to help save the brothers in the league? Say, we need, <laughs> listen, I was telling them, we need another Larry Bird, man. I was like, if you don't get your game up, the white fans ain't going to support us. I was like, Dirk, you got to get your game up, man. You got, you got to get your game up. We need another Larry Bird. That was all my little joke to him. You know what I'm saying? But 
you know, he turned out doing his thing, but that was, you know, that was our little joke on the team. Like, man, you got it. We need another Larry Bird. <laughs> it's funny. You, you were joking about that, but like, you know, now a couple of years later, he's considered probably, you know, one of the greatest power forwards of all time now, which is. Well, man, he used to, to be sitting there and he'd be reading the magazines, right? And they'd be saying all this, Don Nelson, Dirk's going to make Don Nelson look stupid, this and that. And I honestly, I used to be like, Dirk, fuck that. Stop reading that. And I, the one time I slapped it out of his hand, like, stop reading that. Like, you know what I'm saying? You know, just stop reading that because he's young and he's rookie and he was over because he, he used to sit next to me on a plane and uh, he used to tell me how to eat. You know, because one time he told me, uh, if my mother saw you put ketchup on that salmon, she would kill you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then another time he told me, listen, you cannot eat peanut butter and jelly, jelly together. You have to eat peanut butter or you have to eat all I'm like, no, that's not how I grew up doing it. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we had a lot of fun times on the airplane, man, telling me how to eat and whatnot, things like that. <laughs> it, it goes to show how how important, like, a veteran's uh, influence is on a rook, because you never know. That rook might turn out to be the next Larry Bird, right? Hey, he, he, hey, he was, he was cold. He turned out to be cold, whatever he was, but you know, not even the next Larry Bird. He turned out to be the first Dirk because it's a exactly. lot of kids that it's a lot of kids that he influenced and a lot of players mm -hmm. that he influenced where he's from and in the NBA. You know, like really being a seven footer stretching the floor for real. Like Dirk sure. a post up, mid post, deep post. Uh, the favorite was the ice him at that foul line here. You know, once once he arch up and shoot the rainbow joint on you, it was hard to stop. That goes to show that's that, that's him building that confidence in himself, right? Yeah, yeah. Yo, man, what 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 rap music did you put him on? Because now Dirk's like this big like hip hop movie guy type thing, and it, <laughs> it, I, I'm hearing it started with you, so I I gotta know like what were you putting on, Dirk? Man, we just was listening to everything at that point in time because this was like '99, so whatever was hot, probably Jay Z, DMX was hot at that time. So whatever was the hottest thing, you know, we just we played that. You know, another guy who used to dress well, for real, for real, speaking of that, was uh, was Mike Finley. You know, oh, yeah. You know, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He grew up in Chicago. You know, he, he, he you know, he grew up watching Jordan. He was a, you know, uh, chocolate type. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> <laughs> he felt Jordan was a chocolate type. You know, Mike Finley was a chocolate type. So he, uh, you know, he used to dress clean all the time, too. And Mike was a guy who used to dress. When we travel, you know, we travel, we behind the scenes. So a lot of cats blowing on sweats, tennis shoes. You know, Mike might have a custom piece on. You know, Mike Finley was another guy. He was one of the young guys from our era who used to dress clean. I used to be teasing him all the time, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, Mike. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, just teasing. But, uh, yeah, you know, he, he stayed clean, too. You know, he used to ride clean, so he felt like a real player out there. Okay, so how would you compare, in if we're talking about style, like the – current guys dressing in the league now compared to like back then who, who dresses better well you know it's a di i mean well first off and i know i'm gonna hurt a lot of people's feelings but <laughs> i'm gonna hurt a lot of people's feelings but there's just some things i just can't and can't agree with and because i don't agree with it that's just my opinion you know mm -hmm. but uh i'm gonna have to say my era of course you know what I'm yeah. saying? because i mean you know i'm, I'm gonna have to say my era because really, besides Dennis Rodman, really everybody wasn't wearing dresses and all that type of shenanigans. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, but uh, for the most part, you know, we was in suits. You know, we, you know, in our era, you know, cats didn't wear the tennis shoes with the suits. 
you know, you wore the hard bottoms with the suits and whatnot. So, but I think, you know, the fashion has evolved to where you can stay fresh and, you know, you don't, you don't have to be in a, in a neck tie suit and tie, you know, I still wear suits and ties, but you know, I can still, still get that same uh, impression off without having to be feeling stuffy in a stuffy outfit. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, all this dressing up in these dresses and all that, mm. man, that shit got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up. We were talking about, like, burgers and, like, food and all that stuff. Yo, it's making me hungry a little bit. Um, what, was, what was Junior's go-to Subway sandwich growing up? Oh, man, just simple turkey. Just a turkey sandwich, mayonnaise, lettuce, tomato. It was turkey, you know. Um, I just meet him at school with it, you know, get the Subway joint, get him a drink and uh, feed them after school. You know, to me it was, you know, a lot of times environments mean things, right? So mm -hmm. to me, I'm not gonna drive all the way to his school, pick him up, take him home to do the homework at the kitchen table yep. and then drive you off to practice. It was, it, was, it was unnecessary to me. You know, it's like working out at home. You ever, you ever know anybody that has a gym at home? Yeah. How they train and how you'll train differently if you go to an actual gym where there's other people. Because, you know, a lot of times you may go in there and feed off the energy. There's days I go to the gym and I might be dragging. Then I look over and I see some guys really getting it in, some sweat and somebody getting some cardio hard. Or I hear the steel over here and then I just feed off that and take off, you know. So to me, I just would meet him at the school, uh, find an empty classroom, feed him right there and do his homework right there. Because that building was a, to keep you in a certain mindset. You know, like mm -hmm. this, this is a place of work. This is a place of academics. So when you're up under this roof, I just wanted to keep him in that state of mind, you know, just fed him the sandwich and uh, we'll finish his homework before practice because, you know, you're getting up at seven in the morning. You're going to go to practice six to eight. By the time you come home and eat, that's a child. You're, you're going to be running on mental and physical fumes. I'm not going to get you to be able to concentrate and do no math or do anything that's a uh, real uh, strenuous. You can tell when kids are tired, man, listen, I did behavior intervention for many years and I know my kids are tired because you'll say something like, what's two plus two? Uh, four. Okay, what's three plus three? Five? Like just anything, because they're tired, man. They're tired. What'd you say? Uh, uh, eight? Then they just start guessing. You just know your kids are tired. So it just was, to me, it was important just to meet that, get the academics done before you went to practice. Those same principles that you applied to those go into like his basketball training too. You had him dribble around a track for a year, you know, at five, then he started shooting six at seven. And then from there it was progressively, you kept adding things to his game. Do those principles come from that too? Well, I started adding as I, as I learned drills, you know, when I first retired and here's what a lot of people misunderstand about people that have played professional sports. Mm -hmm. When I first retired, I was a great, player development guy because I knew all the moves that needed you you needed to have to succeed in basketball I knew what footwork was needed I knew when the spin move was needed I knew all those things uh you know for me going to camps and you know having playing against Tim Duncan and having Kevin Garnett as a teammate and I went to a lot of big man footwork camps throughout my career uh they used to call this Pete Newell's big man camp David Robinson dream a lot of people went through there so you know I learned a lot of that stuff but being able to coach is different than being able to player develop. You know, it's easy to teach and download skills, but coaching, you need some strategy and after timeout plays and things of that nature. So 
you know, I got better as a coach, but I was always, I was always a one on the development side because I had a clear understanding of what, how to develop people as far as, you know, on the sporting side. So, you know, we just, we just stuck to the habits of development, development, development. And as I saw, you know, as a kid, sometimes you got to gauge how hard you can push them because you can push one kid at 10, some kids at seven, you know, and it just depends. So by this being my first son and I'm a young father and I'm trying to figure him out as well, you know, there was times I went too hard on the gas and then there would be times I might back up. So, you know, it, I had to gauge him emotionally. Uh, and the biggest thing, man, with, with, with getting a kid early involved in something like my kids now, it's easier to sell, but to get them to buy in to the responsibility of it. Because what you're trying to do is ask a child you're trying to get a child to really put in a 15, 16 year internship with no guarantee at the end. No guarantee of going to the league, yeah. With no guarantee of nothing. <clears throat> so basically you're gonna take a four to six year old and tell them, hey, you're gonna train three to five days a week, uh, two to three hours at a pop, tournaments on the weekends, you're gonna do this eight, nine months a year for the next 10 to 15 years, uh, and you might not get none out of it. That's a hard sell. You know, a lot of times, a lot of kids that surround kids like that are not in that space. So, you know, on the weekends, I have to, the kids are having birthday parties. My son got two games Saturday, two games Sunday. If he goes to that birthday party on Friday night as a fifth grader, stay up all night, eat cake and ice cream, go to bed late, his, his, his weekend is done as far as his tournament. So what I would have to do is to balance that out is, Next weekend, we don't have a tournament. So I'll tell him, hey, take two or three of your friends from that birthday party. Tell them next weekend they come stay over at the house. We'll go to Chuck E. Cheese or we'll go to the movies or we'll do something like that so that I could balance them out. And he still had his childhood without feeling like he was missing out on a lot of things because I'm still trying to get you to buy into this unlimited internship that you don't know if it's really going to come to what you want it to be. You know how many people have invested that type of time and only made it to the G league or didn't make it at all. You know what I'm saying? That's why it was important. You gave them that balance because it made them realize like, Oh, you can still enjoy like, you know, the per person being a child, but at the same time, it's like, it doesn't feel like a job at that point. Right. Cause at, at the end of the day, you want basketball to be fun for them. If, if it stops being fun for them, it's not going to get, you know, get them anywhere. Right. Or oh, not so much as that. I didn't want, him to feel like basketball was taking him away from fun. Mm, okay. And if he feels like basketball is taking him away from fun, that could make him not want to do basketball. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So not because he loved working out and he mm -hmm. still does it his day. He loved yeah. it. He loved the grind part of it. Loves mm -hmm. the drills, love the work, love doing all of that. Because that's at the end of the day, that's the only thing you have when you're not getting playing time on the court, when coaches overlooking you, when you're not getting any run, you're not getting your number called, the only thing you got is your individual workouts to keep your faith in yourself because you watch your ball go through the rim a thousand times today, 800 times tomorrow, 700 times tomorrow, because there'll be point in times in your career, you may question yourself. You may question, am I good enough or is my shot good enough or this or that, but that's how you reinforce confidence in yourself. You have to have something to believe in and you have to be working. Your work is what you will have to believe in.
And it's it's paying dividends right now. How he's playing with the Ravs, it's like it's, it's crazy, man. Uh, did you buy lottery numbers at all when he got traded to Toronto? Because the coincidence of that is probably like one in a million for like you know exact same season, forty one games in. Like that, that's that's you can't you can't write that. Man, listen, who listen? I don't think that could have happened if they staged it. The only way it could have <laughs> happened is just how it did. You know, it was crazy, just with the whole Blazer thing, with the whole trade thing, like. That, that that whole first three years was just too much deja vu, you know? And and, and, it, and it was crazy because my son went to the Raptors kind of under the same conditions. They yeah. were looking to rebuild and reload how they were doing things over there. Now, mind you, they were coming off championships and things of that nature, and they were a better team because, you know, at this point in time, when I'm going to the Raptors, they're still only three years in existence. Mm-hmm. So that means the first two years of the league, they still were in haywire. Because if in the third year of existence, you firing the coach, selling the team, trading away Damon, your first draft pick ever, like, you know, you know what I'm saying? So that means in the first three years, it was just a whirlwind over there. They was just still figuring it out. You know, they, they hadn't even, they just still didn't know what they were doing. They couldn't have because you still was going through, you still going through too much startup after three years of starting up. But, you know, they're in a better place now. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, they've had a lot of opportunities and, you know, people didn't think that they would be making this type of noise this year. So, and they're still young. They're still young. And, you know, Freddie made the all-star. Shout out to him on the backup side. And 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 you think about this. They're out there and and they don't have the two superstars or the, the, the super big three like a lot of teams have and things of that nature. And they're still scrapping and grinding and fighting every night. And they still have an opportunity to still get in the playoffs and make some noise. So, you know, I think... Uh, you know, there's still a lot of promise with that with that team. When you saw those parallels, obviously from the Portland to Toronto, what what was that conversation like uh, when you first got traded? Like, hey, this is a this is all familiar. Like, to me, in all actuality, we didn't think nothing of it until okay. all the memes start coming out on the internet. <laughs> people start. To me, we were looking at it as straight opportunity. My son had just been sitting over there and been in Portland and he just was looking at just a, an opportunity that was he just needed that breath of fresh air just for that opportunity so that was the biggest thing that we were focused on you know the memes made it funny and you know all that was cute but if you don't come in here and put no work in and, and, and make a difference and all the memes are gonna turn into sad face Jordan memes you know <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you know what I'm saying so it was just all about coming in and taking advantage of the opportunity to where you can actually coming in when you're showing up to the arena. I know I have a starting position now as opposed to, well, maybe I'll play if somebody's toe is stubbed or maybe I'll play or extra if this guy get in foul trouble. You're not, not knowing your game plan. You know, it's hard to prepare when your own game plan is uncertain. Yeah, took that opportunity and like, you know, took full advantage of it. You know, that 30 points, five, three point streak. Only him, Steph, Harden and Dame are the only ones in NBA history who have done that. What do you feel he still has to add to his game to, you know, take it to the next level? Uh, Do everything that he's doing now, just do it more efficiently. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, more, more, more calm and paceful. Um continue to to get stronger and develop his body, you know, and to uh, get to the free throw line more and finish around the rim more. You know, finish around the rim more, get to the free throw line more. You shoot a high clip at the free throw line, 
You need to get those guys, you know, get some of them guys in foul trouble. You know, that helps relieve some of that pressure. You know, a guy with a guy with three fouls early on gonna play differently than the guy in the second half with one or no fouls. The physicality is different, his mindset different, how aggressive he's gonna attack he was different. So, you know, just really all those things, but to keep growing and evolving. And you you're young enough to to still impactfully improve those things. You know, you just you just turned 23 last month. Mm-hmm. So there's still, you know, still many years of life left in his body, you know, as far as from a, a basketball life standpoint. So basically play more like Pops, yeah? No, don't play like me, you know what I'm saying? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, play every play like he played. When mm-hmm. just, but, you know, but you can't play like me because, you know, my I was a back to the basket. But what was crazy, if you watch his in high school uh, footage, you know, he used to post up in high school. Yeah. You know, this, that, you know, he was a post-up player in high school. You know, he did all that type of stuff. Because I felt like I wanted to make sure he could score at the four levels. You know, deep three, mid-range, get to the rim, those three ways, but also be a guard that could post up. Because a lot of times in high school, you were bigger than most guards. And a lot of times teams are going to put a guard on you because they want somebody to, a smaller guy to chase you and harass you. So with that being said, then let's post him up. Are Garrison, Grayson, and Graydon, are they trying to play like Gary too? Or are they trying to like emulate other guys in terms of finding who, – who do they like to watch? Well, uh, my second son, Garrison, he's 13. Um, he's more into football, wrestling. He plays on his okay. basketball team. But, you know, he's not about the drill work, and he's not with the sergeants, the Sergeant Slaughter uh, crack the whip. You know what I'm saying? He ain't really – He's not for my crack the whip style. And, mm. you know, we went we went through a, a lot when he was younger, figuring that out, you know, because, you know, I was I was hell bent on my son, you know, being great and training him and pushing him and whatnot, whatnot. But that's not what he wanted. And mm. I had and I had to accept that when he was younger because it was affecting. I felt like it was affecting our relationship, you know, and I didn't want uh, you know, I don't want my son sitting at the dinner table with me feeling like he let me down because he didn't want to play basketball, didn't want to work out and all those things. So, you know, we had many a talks and I had to explain to him, I don't give a damn what you do sports wise, you know, you're my son. And as long as your academics stay on course, you know, you're going to be a part of some activities. You know, if you don't want to play sports to try to go to the league, cool, just play it for health, you know, play it for health, be a part of something positive, you know, create some memories, but don't you ever, don't you ever feel less because uh, you're not trying to, do NFL bound training or NBA type training, you know, and, you know, and I, and I had to explain it to him that at a young age. So, you know, he's cool with that. Um, my third son, Grayson, you know, he's, he's hell bent on going to the NBA. He's got OCD, you know, um, you know, he's just, he just hell bent on it. My fourth son, he's, he's hell bent on it too. That's great done. You know, he's a little, uh, he, he's got a lot of maturing still, you know, he's the baby. So, you know, he done been baby and he'd like play around a little bit and whatnot. But, um, you know, he's, they, they shoot the ball well, man. We got a gym in our house. So I'm running no slack over here. You know, <laughs> Jeezy, Jeezy told us trap or die. Well, over <laughs> here, over here is hoop or die. You know what I'm saying? Hoop or die. I love, I love it. They, they, they try to shoot like big bro, yeah? Definitely. You know, I, I'm listen, none of my kids are going to play like me. And any of the kids that play for me are not going to play like me because every kid that plays for me, I give them all face-up guard skills, ball handling, okay. shooting, 
footwork, step backs, they all have guard skills. Now, what I'm going to do is make you a face-up player with guard skills into supplementary game, you will have post-up. Mm. I will teach them post-up as they get older and as guys have growth spurts and they need that post-up. So the post-up will supplement your game, whereas my game, meat and potatoes, was back to the basket and the jumper was more like the sides, whereas in today's game, you got to have that skill set. And I truly believe if you can dribble, you can pass, and you can shoot, there's not a team that you can't play on. Every team needs a shooter, passer, and scorer, or a guy with some footwork. So as long as you have those fundamentally sound skills, I think you always have a chance of succeeding at any level, division one, two, three, pros, or whatever, as long as you have the fundamental foundation. You know, obviously it's important as a father to spend time with your son, but specifically with Gary Jr., because like you were saying, you know, that was like your, since he was your first, you were a lot of trial and error went into that, right? Yeah. Um, but why was it just as important for you? Man, it was important for me because there was a lot of things I did not have as a child and a lot of things that I understood that when you don't have them as a child, what it can do to you, where it can lead your life, uh, you know, how it shapes your thinking, you know. So to me, I felt like I had to be in every phase of my son's life to help shape his thinking, to help shape his spirit, to sh help shape his understanding. Like, and to be honest with you, I have four sons, right? Nobody on this planet has hugged, kissed, talked to, made more eye contact, been in the car more, breathed the same air more, nobody than my than me with my four sons. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody has sat them on the lap more than them because I just wasn't, I wasn't having it first off. And you know, I've been retired since you know my three little ones were born. So with that being said, and then I retired when JR was young. So with that being said, I've been available to go to my kids' school and have lunch with them and be around them when nobody else could be around them, whether their mother was at work and, you know, and things of that nature. So it, I've been in a very, very fortunate position to be able to, as a father, log that many minutes and moments and hours around my children because you know, man, realistically, you, you know, your kids separate from you before they move out. You know, once your kids get, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, and they want to go to the football game on the weekends and they want to hang with their friends or they get a girlfriend or they start traveling with teams and things like that. You know, that's the first baby steps of your child becoming what they are. And, uh, you know, that, that, you know, separation comes, you know what I'm saying? I knew, I knew when JR, when he went to prep school, I told myself, man, damn, like my son will never come home again, never. Because I knew once he went to prep school, he was going to college. And once I knew he went to college, I knew he was going pro. So I knew my son was never coming home again. So I had to swallow that like, damn, my son's never coming home. You know, and you know, as my first son and my only child for about for 10 years, you know, my second son is 10 years behind him. So, you know, it was a, it was a lot in dealing with that and understanding that. So, but it taught me, you know, even more to, to log those minutes, those seconds, going up to my kid's school. I'll pull up to my kid's school sometimes, right? Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Before the corona, I'll pull up to the school and sign in and go watch them through the window in the hallway. They wouldn't even know. Then when they come home, I'll tell them how I saw you laying on the rug, how I saw you goofing off. I saw you flick your homeboy on the ear and playing in class, like, because they ain't know how I was doing all this. They thinking the teacher calling me, but no, I pull up and just watch you through the window and then wait till you get home. So, you know, I, I, I've logged every possible moment I can, man, because I'm never going to get those back. <laughs> 